buddy. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Jeff and, and Sarah for having us. Uh, now, I thought y'all were going to be pre- presenting Sarah because uh, this is Pastor's Wife's Pastor's Wife Appreciation Month. And so I'm putting that bug in your ear. Uh, somebody said, I just cleaned all the stuff out of my ear this morning on the way to, not on the way, yeah, I was a joke. I was just being, just being a little bit silly there. But uh, hey, maybe this month you might say, hey, Pastor Jeff, what is Sarah's favorite place to get dessert? Or man, where does she like to get her mani-pedis done? Or uh, figure out what she wants, man, honor her. You know, we have Pastor's Appreciation Month, uh, I believe in October, but let's honor uh, uh, what, what did you say, brother? The mother, the mother. Somebody said the mother of the house. All right, literally, uh, for, the, for the fourth time. Oh wow, man! Y'all got a squad. All right. So uh, hey, man, just a blessing to be with you. Uh, it's interesting, Sarah, that you you talked about the joy of being in the house. Uh, of the Lord. Our, our family uh, caught a little, uh, if you want to call it, caught, caught a little COVID at the beginning of the year. And I cannot tell you, um, besides the physical perspective, the emotional and the spiritual attacks, when you get disconnected from the family of God, when you, you know, we take for granted that we, that we are in the house of God, we get to worship, man. And hey, it's great to sit at home, but man, when you and your wife are sick, your daughter doesn't want to have anything to do with you, uh, you have no appetite, you eat Chick-fil-A uh, nuggets and all you can taste is the Chick-fil-A sauce. I mean, it's discouraging. And I did not realize how much we were under spiritual attack till the first Sunday I stepped back in the, in, into the church. And man, I, I, man, when worship hit, I, I mean, I, I don't remember just weeping uh, before the Lord. And I was really trying to have some self-control. So when I, I want to help you understand that whether it's COVID, whether it's the isolation, there's nothing like being in the house of the Lord with the family uh, of God. And so uh, if you're watching at home, I pray that you have not gotten comfortable sitting at home in your flip-flops, in your lazy boy, uh, eating, pausing. You can go to the restroom anytime. Come and be uh, in the house of the Lord today. Hey, you know, I, I really want to just compliment the church security team uh, because as I pulled up, uh, Fred and Linda literally surrounded my car and were just walking around, and I, I guess they thought I was just lost. I'm glad the dude over here in the cowboy hat wasn't the one that met me. Um, <laughs> hey, he was still worshiping, but he had his eye on, on the door here. I thought that was pretty cool. But man, Fred and Linda, you know, I kind of saw them in the rearview mirror, and I was kind of finishing my tea and kind of looking at some notes. And the next thing I know, Linda's like knocking on the window. I started pulling out my insurance, you know, and my and my driver's license. But no, uh, they were so so appreciative. They were looking for a car just like uh, the one that I have. And so, hey, very cool. I was looking looking back at my notes. Uh, as, a, as someone who travels, you want to make sure you don't tell all the same stories. Uh, there's some good stories, but you don't want anyone going, you know, I think he told us that story last time. So I'm looking over my notes, and one of the things that I noticed was three prayer requests that we laid before you at the very uh, beginning of the message. One of those is that God would bring provision to add uh, staff and more volunteers. If you saw in the video the young lady that spoke with that lot of hair up there, the former athlete, she's come on our staff since that Sunday and specific to female coaches and athletes. You know, there's a, a unique 
type of ministry that takes place with these ladies who on, they live in a man's world. And they're a lot of times kind of cast to the side. You know, you can go to an NBA game in normal season. There's a lot of people there. The WNBA, they struggle because people don't see the value. But I'm telling you, these ladies are impacting the lives of these young ladies. And to watch Latoria literally pour into them, you know, in this season of COVID, these coaches are finding out, I'm having to do more than just be a coach. I'm having to take temperature when kids come to school. I'm, I'm having to have uh, athletics before school, but then they go, home because they're on virtual and I have to make sure they're checking on checking in online and at the end of school that they've logged back off and they're coming back to school for practice and Latoria was telling me she goes Danny I'm I'm ministering to these coaches but they can't even process an FCA Bible they can't even process having a weekly FCA they're struggling with how COVID has impacted them beyond coaching their mothers their spouses, their daughters, uh, even the men, they're going through so much. But Latoria said, hey, can we just get creative? Now, she's a gospel hip-hop star, uh, and so she's very creative. She said, Danny, what if we did a counseling Zoom call for these ladies? Let's meet their needs physically, emotionally, and spiritually before we even get to the FCA stuff, if you will. But FCA, hey, we're about serving coaches. You saw in the video uh, the impact of serving a coach, the most influential person in society today. And so that's, man, that's what we're here uh, to do. Um, second thing, and I, I just said a lot, man, we were praying for God to bring in uh, $3,000 in new monthly support. Literally, last time I was here, someone who could not make it watched online, and, and they uh, sent me a text and said, hey, we're going to start supporting $500 a month. Now, the crazy thing during COVID, uh, I'm fast-forwarding just a little bit, is a lot of ministries have struggled, just like a lot of businesses, uh, a lot of churches, and man, praise the Lord, in that time, we have not struggled, praise the Lord. In fact, this same person that made that commitment, uh, and, and we, man, I'm just going to tell you, we called every person that supports FCA. Not to ask him for an increase, not to ask him, hey, are you guys going to still support us? Was, hey, how can we pray for you? Pastor Jeff, probably the most productive thing we've ever done, to call every single person, that's almost 100 people, and say, how can we pray for you? What I didn't realize about five calls in, that there's a spiritual attack that comes back on you when you're lifting up and praying for people. I literally just had to go take a deep breath, and I said, I can't just go about checking off a list because these are people who are hurting. These are people who are struggling. So I made a few calls, and one person said, hey, man, I'm a business owner. I just really don't know uh, how this is going to work out. It was the exact person that saw us online, lives right down the street. And uh, so I prayed for him, and then a week later, I saw the call, and I went, there's the call. There's the call. I pick up the phone, and he said, hey, I really want to increase my support to $1,000 a month. And uh, after I picked up myself off the floor... I just thought, God, you are so faithful. We made such a priority in a ministry to not live on candy sales and fundraising events. We want to create sustainable ministry for the long haul. And so I want to thank you, Pastor Jeff, Sarah, uh, man, Resonate Church for, man, just being faithful to support us monthly. That is a big 
deal. We have a great uh, piece of support. A, a, a lot of our support comes from the local church, and so we value uh, your investment. We don't take it lightly. Last thing, and uh, man, I know I talk a lot. I take Loop 12 in Dallas to get somewhere sometimes, so I do that when I'm talking uh, as well. The last thing is that when we were with you, uh, we were praying for God to help provide uh, a new ministry vehicle, and uh, a couple of churches uh, stepped in and made an investment. You guys really invested well, and there was a moment there where I just felt like, God, I, I'm, I don't want to cast vision. I just want to trust you, and I had come to the point where I said, uh, you know, God, maybe, maybe we're just supposed to use this money to keep the old car uh, going. You know, if you've ever gone to the dealership for an oil change, they find this and this and this and this and this and this and and this and this and this doesn't really need to be fixed. But there are some thises and thises that need to be fixed. So I said, God, well, let's, we'll just keep the car going. And I thought, you know, I'm going to share with one more person. It's a personal friend who is uh, an NFL Hall of Famer. I didn't go ask a professional athlete for money because everybody else is, but I said, hey, man, do you have like a contact? Do you know somebody that would really give us a great deal on a vehicle? And I said, he said, yeah. He goes, let me, let me check. And so he, he gives me this guy's name, and, and Anel and I, my wife, we drive to Irving. Uh, you know, it's on one of the, the, the build, tall buildings in Las Colinas. We go there. It, you know, it's like suite 700. And so we're thinking we're going to go to this office. Well, it's not a suite. It's like the whole floor. So it's a, it's a pretty uh, well-off company. And so we meet with this man. I, honestly, I can't even, can't even remember his name. But we walked into this boardroom, and we're sitting there and just kind of hanging out. And, and he says, well, tell me about... FCA, and so I share uh, the three to five minute version, and he pulls out uh, a check and slides it across the table for ten thousand dollars, and so that allowed us to finally purchase the vehicle. Uh, man, praise the Lord! Let's give the Lord a hand for that. I don't know if you know what it's like to walk in and write a check and just walk out. I, I, I didn't know what that was like to not go through, hey, do you want to add this? Or would you like to add this? It was like, here's the check. Here's the keys. See ya. And so God provided uh, in that. And so, man, we're just so thankful that, uh, man, you guys were a part of that. Uh, and we are truly blessed by your investment. I know that some of you really sowed uh, a huge seed. Uh, to make that happen. And so thank you so much. Uh, I'm going to invite you to stand uh, as we read uh, from the Word of God today. I want to be very conscious of your time. Uh, I never feel like uh, I have to preach long uh, to scratch my preacher's itch. I would rather just get out of the way and let God do what he wants to do today. If you're uh, watching online or if you're here and we'll just look up at the screen or if you want to look at the word uh, live and, and, and where you can touch it, Luke 18, uh, beginning at verse 35, and then I'm going to roll into uh, chapter 19. And here's what it says. And Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar, was sitting beside the road. When he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked, what was happening? They told him that Jesus the Nazarene was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet. The people uh, in front yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, son of God, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped and he ordered the men to, bring, uh, ordered the men to be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, I want to see. And Jesus said, all right, receive your, your sight. Your faith has healed you. 
And instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it praised God too. And then in chapter 19, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, however you might say it. Zacchaeus is how I'm going to pronounce it today. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And verse 5 says, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. If you you could be seated, I'm going to just kind of... go through this here and the rest of this story, but let's pray before the word of God goes forth. God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for, God, just the opportunity to come and be in the house of the Lord around God's people, but in the midst of the move of your spirit, Father. I just pray over the next few moments, God, you would anoint this word, God. Lord, may what comes from my lips make way to the heart, God, for life change, God. Make way to the ears, God, that it might we might hear something that we didn't hear before. God, and bless this word. Let us be challenged to move from where we are today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Most of you are familiar with the story at the end that I began about Zacchaeus. And, the, and long story short, after Jesus says, I'm coming to your house, he comes down, he repents of his sins. And, you know, when you think about blind Bartimaeus and you think of uh, Zacchaeus, you have two people that have been identified by a flaw in their life. You know, you have blind Bartimaeus. He can't see. He already knows that he can't see. So for some reason, uh, no one has just simply calls him Bartimaeus. They call him blind Bartimaeus. When we read the story about Zacchaeus, I'm reminded of the song that maybe you sung in Sunday school a long time ago. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. And, and And it goes on and on and on, and then it rhymes with, and I'm going to your house for tea. Now, I'm an iced tea drinker. If you walk over into the little, uh, do you call it the green room, Jeff? The green room that's painted brown? Uh, I, I don't know. That's it's Every church is like that. So you go to the green room, and you'll see a sonic, a large sonic glass. I drink tea. I'm not a coffee drinker. So I can relate to going to your house for tea. And I remember the first time I was looking in the Word of God, and I was waiting for the part that said, and he went to his house for tea. And I discovered that that was just a little embellishment on the person who wrote the song. But I could relate to that because he was going to Zacchaeus' house to fellowship. And so you have blind Bartimaeus and you have Zacchaeus. And I know people who are known by nicknames. There's a coach I have. His name is Coach Buck. I don't even know his real name, but he's simply been named because he was not gifted in the area of great teeth. So he's known as Coach Buck. I I know a a, a guy, they call him Gordo, and if you know any Spanish, that's in reference to being a little large uh, around the waist and maybe your whole body. Or some, I know a guy named Flacco, uh, and and, and, and so he, he, that's skinny in Spanish. We get these names not because of what we have achieved, but because of something or what people see on the outside. When you look at these two men, uh, I, I, you, you have to understand that Bartimaeus, even though he was blind, his name means honorable one. A man who can't see, who is blind, poor, begging, but his name 
means honorable one. Well, then you have Zacchaeus, who's a tax collector, who's despised. And when people see him coming, I, I have to believe that they turn and walk the other way. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was the CEO of tax collecting. He was very well off. Uh, he, he was infamous, but not famous. So you have this tax collector. His name means pure. When we look at the flaws, we look at what people uh, don't have. When we look at the things that, that, that we wish, we believe that we're better than they are, but in reality, we're just the same. But we have a name that means something. We have purpose in our life that God has given us. But we have to look beyond the situation. And so you have this blind Bartimaeus, and he's doing what he always does. It was very customary for the blind and the beggars and the people be waiting at the entrance of Jericho and see he did what he always did it was just a regular part of his life when you think about him as a child he probably didn't get to play the games that the other kids did and so he had to figure how do I navigate when I can't see and you know if someone can't see the one part of their body that becomes their eyes or the part of their senses is their ears and if you read in this story, as he's sitting there and he's begging, he hears a rustling. He hears uh, the crowd begin to talk and make a little bit more noise. You know, no one else would pick up on that, but a blind man would hear something that others do not hear. And they say it's Jesus. Now, here's what's interesting. He already knew of Jesus because when they said it's Jesus, he knew to ask about being healed. He knew that there was something that was about to take place because the dynamic and the atmosphere switched there that day at the beginning at the entrance of Jericho. When you look at the life of Zacchaeus, he was a man uh, who, who of status. Even though people were, were too excited about knowing he was still a man who had credibility for what he had done, even though he was despised. And he is a man of, who, who also is aware that Jesus is someone he needs to meet. He's already known Jesus is famous before he even gets to this town. And so he's waiting and he, he for some reason that day decided not to send his administrative assistant. He went to see it for himself. Uh, you know, I'm known as a foodie uh, among our staff, and it, it's not very odd for me to get a phone call and say, hey, I'm out, in the, I'm out near Lucas, Danny. Where's a good barbecue place now? I wouldn't be able to help them uh, out here in Lucas. Uh, but if it was over like in the Oak Cliff area and said, I'm looking for, for Mexican food, I would say, well, man, you need to go to El Ranchitos over there. They got rice pudding, and I'll be able to tell them. But here's what I know. They're going to go but they want to find out for themselves what it tastes like. If someone tells me something is good, I want to find out for myself because their standard is either the same or lower than mine. So I have to believe that Zacchaeus people said, you must meet this man. You must find and, and just get in the atmosphere of this Jesus. And so that day he probably leaves the office early and he's smart enough to know that if someone famous is coming to town, there's going to be a crowd. And so he plans ahead and he doesn't go straight to where Jesus is. He goes to the, the center uh, of the city of Jericho and he climbs up in a tree because he's what? He's short. He's a wee little man. He's going to go get tea later on, but he's up in the tree. That sounds like that rhymes. And so as he's up in the tree, Jesus comes he thought he was just going to see Jesus, but Jesus came to see him. This man that was despised, but the 
king of kings and the Lord of lords came to see him. You know, if you stand from the outside looking in, you have what seems to be a man who cannot see, but in reality, he sees what people, other people can't see. Well, you have a man who can see. He doesn't realize the evil that he has done. He doesn't realize uh, how impure he is, what a great sinner he is, but he knows that he wants to go see Jesus. What is missed in, in, in someone like Bartimaeus is that he can't see he doesn't have money, but he has a resilience. When people tell him to shut up, he still pursues Jesus. And he says, I want to see, but I believe in reality when we come in contact with Jesus, what we think we need and what we really need are two different things. I want to see with my eyes, but there, there's a word called sight. And it means two different things. It's a noun and a verb. We want the noun, but God wants to give us the verb. Well, explain that. And it sounded good. And I said, mm, but I don't know really what you just said. Sight is a verb. I want to see. I want my eyes to function as they're supposed to. But sight as a verb is, man, I have my sights set on something greater. I have my sights set on becoming not just one who can see, but one who has insight into what God is wanting to do in my life. Even if I don't see it yet, I have insight that God is going to be faithful even in my flaws, even what I don't have, and even when I can't see it yet. When I think about the coaches that we minister to, there is things seen and there are things that are unseen. Most of us think that all a coach does is what we see on a Friday night or on game day. Can you imagine your job, at your job, wherever you work, that people come and stand in your office and they boo you and they tell you how to do your job and they, uh, if they don't like how they, you do your job, they go put for sale signs in your yard. They make threatening phone calls. You see, a coach, what you see on a Friday night or on game day is really only 10% of what you do. It's like thinking that all the preacher does is preach when it's only about 10%. Of what they do. You know, I think about coaches who are coaching in the midst of a, a pandemic. I was meet, meeting with a coach. Her name is Zena Hall. She coaches at a middle school in the Pleasant Grove area. And I wanted just to stop by and see her. And she says, okay. But then she, says, she gives a text and it says, I need to help you understand. I just had to cancel four games because these four teams I had a student who was exposed to COVID. So I had to cancel all four teams, all four games, all four buses. I had to sit in a two-hour sensitivity training. I have a mom who's filing a grievance for me because of something I supposedly said in a Zoom call to her, 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 her daughter. Oh, and by the way, I've got to be a mom and a wife. A coach is just like you and I. A coach has hurts. A coach is struggling to see what they cannot see. They can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, or if they do, it feels like it's a train. What's seen, what is unseen? I was speaking with a coach, Coach Ryder, and he says, Danny, in this crazy season, I leave my house at 4 a.m. I get home at 9 p.m. My son is asleep when I leave. My son is asleep when I get home. I don't get to see my son until Saturday. These are people that are serving 
your kids, my kids, being their coach, giving more time to others than they're able to give to their own kids. They're in a desperate state. They don't know what to do. Many are leaving the coaching uh, profession because it's just not what it used to be. This is not what I was called to do. And I'm going to tell you what coaches are called to do what they do. Nobody can do what they do. They are the most influential people in society. You know, someone said, well, no, that's not right. They are. They have our kids more hours than anyone else does. Because the kids, in our, when they're at home, they do a lot more sleeping than they do interacting a lot of times with their parents. I don't know what the situation at home for Bartimaeus was. His parents may have been blind. His parents may have been poor. I don't know the story behind Zacchaeus. I don't know if he grew up rich, but I'm sure he had a motivation as the youngest or the smallest man in the crowd to become something great. These two men coming from different backgrounds, but both looking to see Jesus. Desperate. I don't know that Zacchaeus knew he was desperate, but I think he knew somewhere in his heart that the money didn't satisfy, that the status didn't satisfy. You see, God was wanting to do something in their lives that I don't know if we realize. Because blind Bartimaeus is known as blind Bartimaeus, we think, well, Jesus just wants to heal him so he can see. Because Zacchaeus is a sinner, well, maybe he'll come to Christ. God didn't call us just to be healed. God didn't call us just to be saved. He called us. If you look at Matthew 28, 19, it's to what? Make disciples. We can celebrate when someone comes to the Lord, but if we haven't learned to make disciples... We've missed the point. So what does that mean? We have to have a heart for the lost. I don't think y'all heard me. We have to have a heart for the lost. I'm so glad that Jesus had a heart for a man named Zacchaeus. He had a heart for the lost. He had a heart for blind Bartimaeus who was lost and rejected uh, and put away. And, and people would put it, cast him aside because of what he couldn't do. But Jesus died for the lost. Are you able to recognize the lost? Do you have a picture of what they, they look like? You probably rub elbows with them every day. Uh, they have it all together, you think. Maybe you only see the lost as the person who stands on the corner with the cardboard sign. But what I recognized recently that that person with the cardboard sign has a little bit more going on than everybody that's passing by them in a car. I passed by this lady the other day, and she wasn't in the road. She wasn't uh, waving people down. It was the most amazing thing I ever saw. She had her cardboard sign, but she had a book she was reading. I thought she has very little, but she's trying to do something better for herself. I would have loved to have told you it was a Bible. I don't know what it was. But I thought she is not allowing her situation for what she doesn't have to rob her from becoming something she may not know just yet, but she's got a plan for her life. God has a plan for her life. God has something bigger than for her to stand there with a cardboard sign. But what if that is to bring you or I along, not to just try not to look them in the eye? Guilty. Thank you. We just don't want to look them in the eye. What are they going to do with the money? You know what? Who cares? 
Who cares? I know that's a hard one to aim at. Who cares? Maybe God's just trying to get you and I to give up something, to have a heart for the lost. We don't know what they really, they really don't need our money, right? They might just need someone to give them a moment of their time to let them know that they are valuable, that they're not just a homeless person or they're just a beggar or whatever they are. God wants us to have a heart for the lost that it doesn't matter what they look like, don't have how bad they've treated us, where we run into them. He wants us to have a heart for those who don't know him and to use that thing called a mouth to share the gospel. But sometimes he wants the gospel to be shared with just our presence. Zacchaeus just wanted to be in Jesus' presence, but something else happened. Jesus knew his name. Jesus knew his name, which that helps me to understand that Jesus was on point. All right, Jesus is always on point. But he knew his name, and he called him down from the tree. Zacchaeus gave his heart to the Lord, but he quickly also turned from his wicked ways. But Jesus said, I'm going to go to your house. You see, it didn't end with salvation because discipleship is doing life Together, So Jesus said, I'm not just going to forgive you of your sins. Let's go do life together. Now, here's what you have to understand and work with me here. Zacchaeus was a man of status. It was very common for him to hang out with other people of status, to go and do tea or do lunch or do coffee. But Zacchaeus this time didn't invite somebody over. Somebody invited themselves to his house. Now, I don't know the history behind Zacchaeus' wife. I don't know what kind of woman she was. But I know if I showed up at my house with someone and did not let my wife know, that would not go over very well. I have to give at least a week's notice. So you might assume that Zacchaeus' wife was the same way, but I would have to beg to differ. She knows her husband. She knows his status. I guarantee you she was ready for Jesus to come. She knew that people came to the home. She knew that at any time this rich tax man could bring someone home. And he does bring Jesus home that day. We don't know the story. We don't know all that was going on. But we do understand that his life was changed. There's a scripture that you know in 2 Timothy, and Paul makes the statement. He says, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. A lot of us just stop there. I fought through some things and I gave my heart to the Lord and I still have faith in him. I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. But there's another phrase that goes with that. And athletes are very familiar. You know, Paul was a fan of, 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 of athletics, of sports. Some believe, that, and I don't know where they get this, they said, I believe Paul would have been a wrestler. Not a wrestler, but a wrestler. And so he talks all the time about competition. He talks about races. And so when I think about a, a, a race, I think about the Olympics. I don't know how many of you watch the Olympics. They're about to come around. But a few years ago, the Olympics were uh, taking place. And I, I watched the Olympics. And, and for those of you that maybe are my age or a little, uh, little younger, a little older, we really back in the day only watched the Olympics for one thing, track and field. Now, ladies, forgive me, I, I didn't watch for figure skating, gymnastics. We put up with the first few days because we wanted to watch people race. 
And it wasn't about whether the U.S. was going to win. It was, are we going to set another world record? Are we going to do something that makes us known? This was the year that Michael Phelps was going to win seven gold medals. For once, I decided to watch some swimming because I wanted to watch history. And it's the relay race of swimming. You know, I, I don't quite understand swimming and relay race. They don't pass a baton. They just jump, dive over each other. It's different. I, I can't relate. If you are a swimmer, I apologize for being ignorant. But I do remember that as they were swimming, the first swimmer did his thing, and he kind of did his flip turn, and the next person dove in over him. He touched the wall. And, but the U.S. was getting behind, not just behind but the team that was leading, I believe it was the French, they were leading by quite a bit. And even the announcers began to talk. As, well, you know, it was really neat to think that Michael Phelps could have won seven gold medals, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. And as they tagged it or whatever they did to the fourth person, they're continuing to talk. Now, I don't think he had an earpiece or one of those little earpieces that you and the, the, the worship team had. I don't believe that. But somehow it was as though he could hear the doubters. It was as though he knew people had already given up on him. He was in last place. He was a full body length behind the one who was, who was leading. And if you watch it, it was like he just knew something. You could, he could have given up, but he just kept swimming. He had his kick going, and he won at the touch. He finished the race. Well, that same year, we were, when it came to the part I really wanted to watch, we watched the track and field, and, and I think it was the 4 by 100 And about the third runner, as they passed the baton, the baton was dropped. Well, if you've ever run track and field or you understand when the baton is dropped, it doesn't mean you finish last. It means you're what? You are disqualified. Have you ever felt disqualified? And so it was though the men didn't even matter. It was though they didn't train for four, eight years for just a few seconds. It was though that all the time and sacrifice from their family, many for years upon years, didn't matter anymore. And so the announcers, as they were coming to the ladies' race, some people probably turned it off because they don't believe in women's sports. I wanted to see how the ladies responded. So the ladies began the race and right before the announcers and the announcers for the Olympics always ask a lot of dumb questions and make a lot of dumb comments. They said, I hope the ladies don't get discouraged from what the men just do. I hope that didn't get in their head. You know, have you ever had the doubters in your life that, that, that always question what you could be? They always question the situation but never see the, uh, the intentionality of our lives. They never see the purpose of God, why God created us. They can't see it because they're blind. They think they can see, but they don't see the unseen. And so the gun goes off and... They begin to race, and the U.S. jumps out to a lead, and she passes it off to the second girl, and she extends the lead, and, and she passes to the third girl. I don't remember their names, but she was a tall girl, and she took it, and she ran, and she ran, and it was coming around the corner to pass it to the last runner, and as she passed it to the runner, the baton was dropped. Man, I don't know if you've ever watched that, but when the baton is dropped, it's like someone puts a knife in your heart. Because again, they didn't even, you, when you drop the baton, there's not even a time. There's no, no, nothing significant that even acknowledges that you were in the race. 
But something unique happened. You never see it very often in track and field because these runners have trained for years. They understand that how important it is to pass the baton. It's not just about who's the fastest, but who works together the best as a team. This young lady, even though the baton was dropped, you could see on TV as the, the air in the balloon was let out of the crowd, but she did something very unique. You don't know, hardly ever see it. She turned around, and she came, and she got the baton, and she sprinted to the finish line as though there was still something to accomplish, as though there was a, a prize to be won, as though the tape would still be at the, at the finish line for her to break. She didn't win anything. Crushed, broken. I've trained for years to make it to the Olympics. I've trained to win the gold medal. There's history in the women's track team. World records, gold medals, and here we are, and we drop the baton. We've been disqualified. And as she comes to the end, the interviewer asks, all the stupid questions. They ask her the first question of, how do you feel? She did not knock him out. How do you feel? Her head lifted with tears coming down her face. I don't even remember her response. I was so, so crushed that they had dropped the baton, and this guy asked this girl a difficult question. How do you think she feels? He asked the second question, and I couldn't tell you what that question was, but I'll never forget the rest of my life, the third question. He said, I noticed that after you the baton was dropped, you went back and got the baton. What he was saying was, don't you know that when the baton is dropped, you're disqualified? So it's a waste of your time to even run the race. He said, why did you go back and get the baton? She lifts her head with tears coming down her cheeks and said, I had to finish the race. Oh my goodness. You would have thought I was watching the greatest preacher of all time on TV. I came off the couch. I said, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. I may not always win, but God didn't call me to win all the time. He called me to finish the race. And so when Paul said, I fought a good fight, I kept the faith. That last part is I finished the race. What is the race? The race is having a heart for the hurting, a heart for the lost, to keep running. You may not feel like it one day because, well, you had an argument with your wife before you went to work that day. Your kids were running late, and, and, and man, you hate being late, but your kids were late, and it's the fifth time this week. But God still has called you to finish the race. He's called me to finish the race. Thank you, Sarah, that you didn't feel like coming today, but you knew that it would help you finish the race to feel a little bit better. God has called you, resonate, to finish the race. What does that look like? To not be satisfied with sitting in the nice, very comfortable chair that you're in. To not just enjoy the worship, which was phenomenal. To not just stand at the door and serve and not to make light. Not just to be on the AV team. Not just to be on the worship team. Not just to be on the prayer team. But to finish the race of reaching the lost for the sake of discipleship. Because guess what? You might be finding a teammate to serve alongside you in the ministry. Because God's intentions were not just to save them either, but for them to come and know him, 
to find their purpose in Christ. They've been called a nickname. They've been called a mistake. They've been called all of these things. But yet God still has a purpose. The race cannot be won. The race cannot be completed unless we finish the race. I would invite you to bow your heads today. You know, God didn't heal Bartimaeus just to give him sight, but to give him insight into his bigger purpose. He didn't call Zacchaeus down just for salvation, but he wanted him to use his influence to reach the lost, to make disciples. We don't see that part of the story, but if I understand Jesus and what he's called us to do to make disciples, I believe that's why he would seek and save the lost. What is God wanting you to see today? What is God wanting to reveal to you about yourself, about your mission field, about others that you've walked past, that you've been too busy to share the gospel with? Because, well, maybe their, their language is, is not of God. Because, well, they live with someone. They're not married, but they live together. I, I, we can't have that at our church. Maybe their lifestyle is not as pure as your lifestyle is. God's called us to be the light. God's called us to reach the lost. As the musicians are playing softly, I want to just challenge you right now. Eyes closed. See with your eyes closed this morning. God, what are you calling me to do? Where are you pushing me to be uncomfortable? Who are you calling me to talk to? Who are you placing in my path that I've walked past every day? Is it a blind Bartimaeus? Is it a Zacchaeus? Who is it? There's an old song that says, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Let that right now be your prayer. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Let my heart be soft as your heart is soft. May I love as you loved me. May I forgive as you've forgiven me. You know, Pastor Jeff has given you these invitations to the lost, you might need to invite that relative that gets on your nerves. You might invite that person that does not have your back at your job. It may be to invite that son or daughter you've been praying for for years. When God gives you a heart for the lost, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter their spiritual state. It doesn't matter what they can't do. It doesn't matter what they've done to you. God, give us a heart for the lost. You may be sitting here today and saying, you know what? I don't even know what it means to have a heart for the lost because I myself am lost. I don't know him. I know of him. I know of him maybe as Zacchaeus did, but I haven't pursued to know him. But today, I'm coming out of my tree. I'm 
coming out from begging and seeking other things and getting them but leaving unsatisfied. If you're here today and you say, I don't know him, I, I, I don't know Jesus as my Savior, but today something was said, something spoke to me through the words that you said. And today, I need to make a change. I need to follow him. If that's you, would you be so honest? Would you be so transparent today to lift your hand and say, that's me. I need Jesus. I need to know him. I don't know him. Anyone at all in this place? I am that lost one. Thank you. I am that lost one. I am that lost one. I am that Bartimaeus. I am that Zacchaeus. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to pray in just a moment. But I would ask everyone in this moment to pray with me as those that lifted their hands, those maybe that didn't lift their hands. But pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, you know who I am. You know what I've done. But I thank you that you love me anyway. Today I come. I submit myself. I lay myself at your feet and say, God, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you rose from the dead. And according to your word, because of those actions, because of those exercises in my faith, today I am yours. Change me. Make me whole. Give me purpose. In Jesus' name. For the next three minutes, for those of you that already know him, I want to invite you to stand where you are and come find a place in these altars and let God challenge you to have a heart for the lost. Would you just, for the next few moments, do that, Pastor Jeffrey?